Hello, and welcome to The Loop. I'm Anna Missouri, a manager in RSM's private equity coverage team, where I run the Business Leaders Program, which is focused on supporting our private equity clients to find the right talent for their boards and management teams of their portfolio companies. The Loop is where we untangle today's business issues by throwing real-life scenarios at a panel of experts and ask them to deliver practical advice on how to tackle current business issues. In this episode, we are discussing the first 100 days as the CFO of a private equity-backed business. Now, following a private equity transaction, the management team is immersed into the start of an ambitious three- to five-year business plan. It is clear that during the investment period, CFOs of private equity-backed businesses are faced with a few challenges, and that includes anything from data fragmentation, meeting tight reporting requirements, acquiring and managing talent, as well as aligning with both the CEO and the private equity investor on business priorities and the growth plan. Today, we are going to explore that first phase of running a private equity-backed business, the challenges that CFOs face, and what the role of the CFO is in preparing and delivering against a demanding growth plan. I'm joined today by Christian Jennings, CFO of Virgin Experience Days, and I'm also delighted to be joined by Rupert Levy, Group Finance Director of Agri-Briefing. Welcome both. Thank you for joining us today. Um, Christian, if we could start with you, it'd be great if you can tell us a bit about sort of your background, uh, the company and your kind of career journey to date. Sure. Well, thanks for having me here today. Uh, it's, it's really great to be here. Um, so I'm CFO of Virgin Experience Days. Uh, we are a leading provider of experience gifts in the UK and the US, selling anything from afternoon teas to driving experiences to cookery classes. And we, we sell about a million um, experiences a year. So um, I've been there since June 2018. Uh, I joined shortly after Inflection bought the business in 2017, September 2017. And subsequently, Equistone have acquired the business in uh, July 2022. So I started my career uh, at, well, effectively, I left school at at 18. um, And I went straight into an accounts payable uh, role and studied night classes for SEMA. Um, I qualified within three years. And then really, from then on, it's been me sort of choosing the roles and the companies that have been interesting to me. And I've tried to... I guess, step into roles that have given me fresh experience, whether it be management accounting to FP&A, to financial controlling, um, and then obviously more laterally into um, more strategic financial manager roles and, and CFO. Um, so I probably the last 10 years have been more focused on um, e-commerce, having worked in Moonpig and then Zoopla and Uswitch, and obviously now um, pure e-commerce business, Verge Experience Days. Brilliant. Great. Thank you, Christian. And Rupert, over to you. Thank you, Anna, and thank you for having me as well. Um, I was KPMG trained. After six years there, I left to join a media company. And ever since then, I've been finance director at media companies across private companies, listed companies, and most recently, private equity-backed companies. In the media companies I worked in, they were mainly focused on exhibitions, on magazines, and most recently on data. The last job I had before joining AgriBriefing was at Dodds Group PLC, which specializes in data and events in the political area. In 2012, me and two partners were part of an MBI of what became AgriBriefing, backed by Kester Capital. We bought two business units from UBM PLC, one in agriculture, which is the one we focused on. Over the last 10 years, we've developed that company. First, by transforming the company that we bought and making some acquisitions to bolt onto that. In 2015, we went through a secondary, 
where we exited Kester and we were then traded up to private equity house Lyceum. Through the Lyceum, they're now called Horizon um, process, we have been on a buy and build strategy, uh, which also involved in 2019 a tertiary transaction. Over that time, we've transformed our business into the leading global agricultural price reporting agency, which provides pricing, forecasting, data and events across a number of proteins um, in the agricultural space. In January 2023, we exited through a sale of the business to Mintech, which is a business backed by Five Arrows, private equity. Um, and over that period, we transformed a business to a business that was trend traded at more than a 20 times multiple. Rupert, so <clears throat> obviously there's a lot of pressure for various stakeholders um, are following a private equity transaction to hit the ground running and start delivering against that value creation plan from day one. Um, in reality, how much can you actually get done in those first 100 days versus kind of the rest of the holding period? And, and how do the particularly nearing that exit period, how does the intensity differ? I think it's a, it's, it's a great question because a lot of private equity houses will come in and say, okay, what are we going to do in the first 100 days? 100 days is this almost a cliche about what is important. I think the most important thing is not to run too fast in those first 100 days. And I think the thing we learned through the various transactions was to sit down very early on and agree what you want the business to look like at the end of the three to five year rush that you're going to have with the private equity house and develop that strategy rather than start trying to activate things immediately, work on what you want the plan to look like at the end, and then agree a, trend, a way of getting there. I think the danger is that you try and do too much too early, and whether that's as a MBI, which we started off with, or a secondary or a tertiary, or indeed when you do an acquisition, the most important thing is to listen to the business. We, we did an MBI of a business that was more than 100 years old, listen to people there, understand what their frustrations are, understand what the opportunities are, and then plan. What is your advice around how to manage that communication with the private equity house? And also not just with the private equity house, but also the rest of the management team, and particularly the CEO. With the stakeholders around the boardroom, I think getting into a boardroom, having a strategy day, agreeing what that overall strategy is, is really important. As an example, in 2019, we sat around the table and, just, and all agreed that one of the most important things was to sell off part of our business, which didn't quite fit with our overall strategy. Once everybody had agreed that, it was much easier to do that. And everybody was therefore on board, understood what they were doing. I think with the wider senior management team, we were always very open. We always explained what the private equity journey looked like, that it was three to five years that there would be a transaction, it might be an exit, it might be a secondary or tertiary, but be open and honest. Don't pretend that it is something that it isn't. Yeah, it sounds like constant communication is key. And Christian, what, what are your thoughts around this? Uh, so I, I think, you know, create your exit story right at the beginning is super important. I think there's, there's sort of a life lesson there generally about begin with the end in mind. Uh, you know, if you know what you're heading towards, then you're more likely to hit it. So I think that that's spot on. Um, I think there is a nuance there around if you, 
if you've gone through a first cycle and you're going into a second stage, then there's a lot of stuff you don't have to deal with because you know the business and you've been part of those conversations through the deal process. And you've, you've probably played quite an active part in selecting your, your, your next investor. It's more difficult if you've come in as a new CFO um, following a, a, a P having acquired a business because then you've kind of got two jobs because you, you've got the job of coming into the business, learning the business, reading all the deal docs, um, getting up to speed with, with, with everything that's going on, building the team potentially, and then going through probably what's going to be a very intense part of the, the, the sort of the investment cycle, which is, as you, you talked about, getting everything set up and whether it's identifying investment, going through, I mean, the classic 100-day plan post-DD. Um, you know, when you go through due diligence, there, there's, there's so much stuff that's likely to, to fall out in terms of you know, generally not big red flags because if they're red flags, then potentially they, they would they'll sort of be impacting that that process, the, the sale process. But typically, they're housekeeping things and th they'll be um, of various priorities. But those all need to be dealt with, plus the um, the, the sort of the, the standard stuff that you do post a deal around PPA, um, you know, tax work on you know if there's refinancing, looking at tax work. So there's a lot of sort of admin stuff, if you like, that needs doing, and that does need getting out of the way and, and prioritizing. But I think um, reshaping following an exit and when you go through a process, you are presenting a business plan and your investors are, are you know, buying into you and to the plan. I think following that, you do need that regroup. You need that re-sort re of strategizing to make sure that all expectations are aligned and that, you know, is M&A going to be prioritized? No, let's take M&A off the board. You know, for the moment, we're going to focus on this and... So, so I think it is that um, meeting of minds and, and refocusing um, under the new ownership. Coming into, into a private equity-backed business, some of the time the information can be all over the place. You need to hit the ground, ground running quite quickly. What is your advice on how you can go about gathering that information from the various de departments that can be quite disjointed at times? Sure. I, I, mean, I think generally my advice would be to, to listen be part of the business. And it, I mean, it's something personally that's important for me and what I've always enjoyed about my career is being in a business, not on a business. Um, you know, so in order to be able to understand what decisions or judgments are, are good for the business, you need to be listening to the teams and the people and understanding the, the issues. So I think there's an element of um, actually engaging across the business, um, which is part of the leadership role anyway. But if you're coming into a business new particularly, then you've got to establish you know, those relationships. And part of establishing the relationships is around listening and getting that feedback and, and then sort of being able to draw it together to get that bigger picture. So you can then match that um, against where you want to be or, or what the, the, you know, the value creation plan looks like and how, you know, identifying what, what gaps might exist. Yeah, again, communication is key. And I guess a question to both of you, how frequently do you revise the growth plan and, and actually having retrospectively, should you have revised it more often, less often? We've all lived through a very odd few years. I yeah. mean, anybody who's been through COVID um, knows that business plans go out the window quite quickly when the world changes. We had a business which was 20% events. The events shut down. Um, I think with any business that was going to cause a problem. I think one of the benefits of being private equity backed is that you can get round the table with everybody. You can get all the stakeholders in the room and we can all agree that this is a once, hopefully, in a lifetime experience and you just have to reset it. I think normally 
we always did quarterly reforecasts. They were short term. You then looked at on a budgeting basis at the longer term. If there were changes to your market, you have you have to react. I don't think that changes whether you're private equity backed or private or, or, or public. One of the issues with being a, a PLC on the on the stock market is that you have quarterly reporting or half annual reporting, which can be more difficult to, to deal with those sort of changes. As I said, I think the private equity world allows that longer term view, which is great. Moving on to experiences of working with, with private equity, um, each private equity house will have its own style and approach to working with its portfolio companies. Some will be more hands-on and require more frequent updates from their CFOs, whilst others might be a bit more hands-off and in their communication and guidance to their portfolio companies. Um, and Rupert, how, how have you found your experience of working with private equity and how has that intensity varied over, over the holding period? As I said, we started off as an MBI team working into a business where we'd never worked before uh, with a relatively small um, private equity house in Kester. We had two excellent partners who were very much hands-on. And I don't mean they were running the business with us. I mean that they were very much within the numbers, understood what we were doing. Part of that is because of the stage of the process. We were new. We were new to the business. They were new to the business. So inevitably, they wanted to understand everything that was going on. As you develop as a management team, as you develop their trust, inevitably, you get left to do more by yourself, especially if you're hitting your numbers. As the transaction comes closer, then inevitably, they become more involved as well because you're preparing all the KPIs, you're preparing the IMs, you're preparing all of that information. You then go through a secondary and you are an established management team. And so partly, I guess, because we were moving into a slightly bigger organization, Lyceum, partly because we'd been doing this for three, four years, partly we had a, a, a track record, you get a little less intense scrutiny. And I don't think that's because they loved us less or because they didn't really trusted us more necessarily. Part of it is the style. Part of it is where you are. And as, as I said, we've been doing this now for 10, 11 years. By the end of that, we were a team that you know, they, they trusted to do, to do the job. Obviously, when there are wobbles, COVID or, or, or otherwise, you get more intensity because there's, there's more need to be more um, in the weeds uh, from the stakeholders. But I think over time, if you establish yourself as a management team, you get more autonomy. Yeah, trust is key in any relationship. And Christian, what are your thoughts and perhaps some comments around you know, the styles of working with, with the two different private equity investors within the same business? Yes, yeah, certainly. In fact, I've actually had experience of three. Um, so uh, I was part of the team that sold Photobox to Exponent. Um, and, and that was a very different experience as well. Um, you know, following that um, acquisition, um, th there was a lot of... Um, detailed analysis, you know, consultants coming into the business. And that was appropriate for that time, you know, time in the strategy of that business to do that. I think inflection um, very, um, I think we were delivering. So one of the key things here is like, are you doing what you said you were going to do, right? So if you're doing what you said you were going to do, then life is going to be easier generally. Um, so I think the performance of the business is really key. And I think, you know, as we went through our investment cycle with, with inflection, we were growing and we were very strong 
COVID, absolutely. You know, you had a 20% sort of um, activity business. We have 100%, you know, so, so all our experiences shut, shut down over COVID. But we, we pivoted and we, we continued to drive the brand. And um, we worked with all our stakeholders. So it was really key at that point for finance to, to really take the lead. And uh, good communications, forecasting, cash flow management with um, inflection, also with our debt providers. And that openness and transparency and the trust that gave really helps uh, manage that relationship and, and, and means that, of course, they're going to be very interested. We went to weekly board meetings at that point, as I'm sure many companies did. Um, but you keep the information um, flowing and you answer the questions and you show that you're being proactive and you are taking a lead in, in running the business. And let's face it, as, as a management team, that is your job. Um, so as long as you're delivering on that, um, then I think you, know, you, you can have a good, healthy relationship. Um, and my experience through, you know, both um, inflection and more latterly with Equistone is it, very healthy in that respect. And I have a personal style, um, which isn't going to be everybody's style, but I'm very open and transparent. I believe that is the most effective way to, to manage that relationship. But in the same way as um, you will have different private equity houses, you will have different, you know, CFOs. And, and, and I think being able to adapt your behavior to that private equity house is obviously important. But fundamentally, you as an individual have a, a way of working. And I think, you know, that, that is part of your own brand. I think just to add to that, which I think is absolutely right, um, when you've got a private equity house, everybody is aware of what the goals are. And I think one of the beauties of the, the model is that there is a commonality of, of, of aims and goals. You need to get to the end of the three to five year process, hopefully grow the value, do a transaction. As, as, as you said, if you are open and you're honest and you, you know, where there are issues, you show issues, never try and hide something that, you know, that, that is a problem. Everybody can then gather around and deal with the problem, whether it's with the, the equity house or the, the debt provider or whatever. Everybody's in the same boat. Everybody's driving in the same way. I think that's, that's where that, that real benefit c comes in. Yeah, so building that trust and finding the right communication avenues will ensure that you maintain that good relationship and ultimately deliver a better exit in, in the end as well. Absolutely. It's, it's a wider team. Actually, some, some private equity has have slightly different approaches. So some have operating partners and actually people that are assigned to the business. So, for example, with both Inflection and Equistone, the people that we, we effectively went through the deal process with were the people that sat on the board and, you know, we had all our relationship with. Other private equity houses have a different model and they will actually have a different team that will acquire the business and then subsequently sort of be, be helping to sort of run the board and manage the business. Yeah. And how important is, is the team that you, you build around you in, in obviously supporting you in delivering your, your aims within and how do you go about building the right team and find the right skill sets right particularly today's day and age where technology is ever more important in, in succeeding in a finance function so it uh, teams are everything i mean never compromise on your team yeah um and i think you know i've certainly learned that the hard way and i'm sure we've all we've all had um those experiences but fundamentally you know with a great team you i genuinely believe you can do anything you know, the teams are at various levels. You've got your finance team, you've got your executive team, and then you've got your, your effectively your, your board team, if you like, which is the, the wider team with the, with the PE house. So um, I think it's super important. And um, identifying what you're trying to achieve as a team and then working out where your gaps are um, but don't compromise. I mean, compromising on your team is is literally like um, trying to run a run a race with you know putting glass in your trainers. I mean, it's just pointless. 
I think the other thing you, you mentioned earlier, you know, the, 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 the pressures on a CFO especially will change over the course of each, each cycle. Yeah. As the tran next transaction comes closer, the CFO will be dragged further and further into producing IMs, producing K KPIs, going to management meetings, preparing all of that information. And certainly we, we've done that a, a number of times. You have to have a team that will run the business while the CFO and probably the CEO are out of the business for quite a large proportion of the time. The last thing you need during a process is the business to start wobbling because it's not being managed. So in normal cases, everything you said is absolutely right. You need to have a good team. The whole, the whole business needs a good team. It becomes even more important as you go into a transaction because if I look at the last year, from about May, June last year, I spent much less time within the business my, my CEO spent much less time in the business. If we didn't have a decent management team, a really great management team, a really good finance team supporting us, the business would wobble and inevitably then the valuation wobbles. So it's, it's absolutely key critical to, to, to realize that you're not some sort of, I don't know, godlike figure where the C and CFO just sort of, and the C-suite as a whole, just sort of run the business, uh, especially media businesses like ours. Absolutely, it's the team. That's that's the only, that's absolutely crucial. Well, there needs to be that space for the CFO to take that strategic lead in the business, right? And um, kind of coming on to to the next question. I mean, nobody likes surprises, or maybe some people do, but uh, definitely not entering a new business. Are there any steps that you can take before joining the business to 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 reduce the risk of kind of facing surprises once you're in the role? I think. There are two elements of that. The first one is about the private equity house. I think you should do your due diligence on the private equity house. They absolutely will be doing their due diligence on you. Um, so go and talk to people who have worked with them. Find people who are still working with them, but even more important, find people who used to work with them. So finding out how they actually operate. As, as Chris said, there are people who are much more hands-on, much more hands-off. There are people with operational partners, etc. So understand what you're getting yourself into. I think also do due diligence on the business. You absolutely um, owe it to yourself to make sure that you're getting into the right environment. I think the most important relationship, obviously, is with the CEO. Make sure they're the person that you want to work with. You're going to be very, very close to these, this person for a number of years. If you can't stand the sight of them in the morning, you're really going to struggle. So do the due diligence on them. Go out for beers, go out for dinners, find out whether they are similar mindset about work-life balance. Do as much work as you possibly can to make sure you're getting into the right place. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's so true. And I think getting that chemistry is, is super important. And, and it comes back to the thing about the team. If you've got a good team, then, you know, that's going to overcome a lot of those surprise and those issues because you're going to come together. And, and COVID, again, COVID was a great example of that. So I think, um, yeah, I, I think researching that, you know, you do all the usual stuff, companies, house, financials. Um, I, I suppose... The reality is, though, there's always going to be surprises and, and that there could be sort of things that don't exist now, but yeah. do exist in the future and stuff that might exist now, but people don't know. And the point is, when you're working for PE, you know, your role is there to, to, to grow the value of the business. And, you know, at, with your experience and being on the exact team, that's your responsibility. So I do think there's an element of 
don't overanalyze because you might miss a good opportunity. Do, do, do the data approach and then get that gut feel through the chemistry, then go with it and use your experience and just throw yourself into it um, because there's always going to be problems. Like I've not worked for one business where there's not been like some reasonably major issue at some point in that life cycle. So um, deal with it and, and work with the team and rely on the team. So it does come down to chemistry and team at the end of the day for me. Yeah, and ultimately it comes back to the fact that you know, you're backing a strong management team and, and the importance of getting that right will be the key to delivering a good exit for the business. This kind of job must have a huge impact on your lifestyle, both sort of short term and, and long term. Um, and kind of drawing this episode to a close, it'd be great if you could reflect on some of kind of the, the pressures and challenges of this role and how, how you manage that, but also what advice you would give to people embarking on their first 100 days and whether they should run for the fields. I think the first thing to say is a bit similar to the point about um, making sure everybody, all the stakeholders are in the same page. I think it's absolutely the same for your personal stakeholders. So make sure that you understand what you're getting into. You're certainly going to need a supportive family if you're going to invest some of your capital in a business. Um, any CFO role, certainly any significant CFO role is going to have um, its pressures. I think one of the most important thing is to agree upfront with your senior management team, with your CEO, with the C-suite, how you're going to run a business. Um, when I started, we were three people who were all parents of relatively young children, school-age children, and we were very, very keen to keep a good work-life balance. Of course, there will be demands through M&A, through processes, through whatever. You may have to work long hours, go abroad, work weekends. But we came to an agreement really straight up front that as a rule, we were going to run a business that works very hard during the working hours, but tried as hard as possible to spend the non-working hours not working. And I think if you establish that up front, then you can, then you can do it. And I think it's really important to make sure that you manage those stresses because there will be points in that period where there are problems, where there are processes, where you absolutely have to work all hours. So getting that balance right, I mean, not just in private equity, but in, 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 in working life, I think it's absolutely important. So sticking to a five-day week. Sticking to a five-day week. Great. Thanks, Ruben. Christian? Yeah, I listen. It, it's, it's super. It's super fun and exciting, and it's really rewarding. But there are risks, as with any business, and you know you've got to put the time in. And I think, um, again, looking at the end result, you know, where do you want to be, and always focusing on that will, will draw you through those more challenging times, particularly in the first hundred days. Um, I mean, I, I, interestingly, when I started with Virgin Experience Days, um, I started, and two weeks later, I had holiday. <laughs> you know what's coming. So I was on my laptop in a hotel in Croatia um, supporting a refinance when I was two weeks into the business. And this is my you know, first experience. But I loved it because that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. And guess what? And this is totally unscripted. But when we sold the business to Ecrystone, sort of four years later, I was in exactly the same hotel in Croatia, closing the deal from my hotel room. It's still in Croatia. It was exactly You're that. Yeah. No, I promise you. Unfortunately, <laughs> I've got very understanding and supportive wife. Um, but the reality is that's what I wanted to do. So, you know, you take the rough with the smooth. And, and the reality is there's as many good times as times where, where you maybe have to open your laptop at times when you don't want to. But that's all part of the deal. So get, get yourself stuck in and, and you know, just, just enjoy it. Yeah, and how rewarding is it when the sale is done? Yeah, totally, and exactly. And, and that's the point. So, um, yeah, go, go with it. As long as you're happy with what you're doing, make the right choice up front and then just don't look back. 
So many thanks again today to today's guests, Christian Jennings and Rupert Levy. If you'd like to contact us and discuss more on this topic, you can find us on www.rsmuk.com and our contact details are in the show notes. We're always keen to hear your views, so please do rate us and leave a review. To stay in the loop, please subscribe to The Loop and listen to our next episode, where we will untangle more of today's big business issues. Thank you. Thank you.